0: Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. Hi, everybody. Uh, Today's episode is just going to be a recording of me doing a second uh, follow-up segment of uh, my recording myself going through a dungeon with old school essentials advanced just as a a live solo play so it's not a real long episode but that's that's all the content i don't have any calls or unboxings or recaps of anything else Uh, that's what i've got on tap for this episode but before we get into that um uh here's a very 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 important message about a big event coming up here in about a week We've heard all the solo podcasts, and we know the names of the legendary anchorites. But now the Hydra of Discord, the polyphony of podcasting quarrels, all join together into a single podcast. CerebraVore, a bi-weekly show where a rotating group of podcasters discuss a variety of tabletop role-playing topics. CerebraVore, it'll devour your mind. Coming soon to Podcatchers Everywhere. Okay, so we're going to do a second session of um, my Old School Essentials Advanced live play. Just to recap what happened last time, I've got five party members. I've got a human paladin, Vanya, uh, a dwarven cleric Erland, a half-elven magic user, Predreg Sabina, who is a human bard, and R. who is a gnome, uh, multi-classed thief warden. And the warden is a Spellless, non-magical ranger uh, from some of the old school advanced uh, rules and one of their, their the uh, Carcass Crawler zine for old school advanced comes from one of their from the, the first issue of that. Not issue number one issue zero and I think it probably will wind up being released in a future Carcass Crawler that goes out for everybody to be able to obtain. Uh, issue zero was was a special issue for some early backers. <coughs> um Anyway, so the the premise was they had been asked by some townsfolk to uh, proceed to this trail some orcs who had made off with sort of the bounty that had been collected for the harvest festival, along with the, the chief uh, priest of the town, the temple in the small in this town. So um, that's where they did they they found they trailed the orcs. They got into this first kind of entry point of the dungeon, which was a Thirty by, why in fifty? Thirty by thirty foot room, um, and then uh, fought fought off three orcs. Uh, managed to keep the one orc who broke and ran after a failed morale check from going deeper into the dungeon. They they cut him off. So so that's where we're at. So that took uh, previously five rounds. Uh, so a little bit about time. In uh, time management in old school essentials, we we're using which is the again the, the BX rule set. Uh, a round is 10 seconds. That, that's I, b- I believe that's a unique feature to the BX rules uh, because I think w- we were at six seconds in more modern D&D games, and I think in ad and d round was a full minute. So so a 10 second round is is I can't remember if o- original D&D or the Holmes Basic used that, but for for BX and I think Me also we've got. 10 second rounds. Uh so a round is 10 seconds of game time and there are 10 a turn but on the other hand is a 10 is 10 minutes of game time so there are 60 rounds in a turn. That's some simple math. Probably if I was going to design a time system myself I might come up with it a little bit different. Uh trying to keep up of 60 turns, 60 rounds. Effectively you're if you're measuring round to round which to me is the easiest way to do this. And in fantasy grounds, that's why I keep players in the com. And there's a combat tracker that turns that tracks round around, and it has some neat features like it'll it'll help you keep track of the duration of spell effects or have, how long a torch burns, or things like that. Um, but it goes on those round around minutes, and so trying to <laughs> to mark a turn that means I've got to click the button sixty times. But it is what it is. It's what the technology allows, so that's what we'll go with. Anyway, but I just wanted to to, to make a reminder of that because they're about to get into some exploration of the dungeon once they're past this first room. Um, The the rules for dungeon exploration also mention that for searching a room, once it's um, if there's not a combat going on, a player must declare a particular 10x10 area to be searched. Searching takes a turn. Uh, If a character is searching in the right location, there's a 1 in 6 chance of finding a secret door or a room trap, not a not a trap like on a chest or, or, or something like that, but like a booby trap in the room. And of course, you know, dwarves have a, a better chance of finding room traps, and elves have a, a better chance of finding secret doors. It goes up to two and six. Um, at any rate, that's kind of what's going on with dungeon exploration. So let's get into it. Uh, they are going to have to search this room. It was, like I said, a 30 by 30 room. So uh, there are... Five characters, so they could all take a different section of the room and search. You know, if you're going to do this by the book, old school, this this actually is going to take a few minutes to sort out how how you go about searching the room. And if you say that well, there's a table and two two kind of crude crudely made beds in this room. Everybody's searching the room, and every player would have to declare which section of the room they're searching, and then decide well, I didn't find anything. Does someone else want to search this ten by ten section? So it could get a little lengthy, uh, you could probably see why more modern games help speed up that process by just saying something like, everybody make a perception check. Um, depending on what you find enjoyable, though, I don't, I don't, I think this is a fun part of the game. And I think once a group gets to, uh, gets used to the rules, it would go pretty quickly. Um, so, uh, we will add some time onto the tracker here to account for all of them, at least searching a section of the room. There's nothing in here for them to find, truth be told. Um, but what would happen is, as a DM, if I was doing with real players, I would roll a D6 for each of them behind the screen uh, and then let them know that they found nothing. Of course, the players never know for sure. Did I find nothing because nothing was there or did I find nothing because I failed to notice stuff? Uh, that's where some of I think, the tedium can come in where you know, a truly thorough party wants to let every member search every ten by ten area of a room to uh, to make sure that it's not just the first guy that look overlooks something. But again, I'm sure there there are shortcuts that each group can come up with, or you can just do it if that's what you if that's what your group wants to do. Anyway, I'm going to roll a d6. I don't know why I'm rolling a d6 for each of them. There's nothing in there to find. The only uh, treasure that was available was actually on in the orc's pockets so by searching the room including the the dead orcs they um they do find what do they find okay they they, ca- they can find some uh some stuff in here there's a uh Amongst them, the orcs have 15 gold pieces. That's just from going through their pockets. There's a pewter tankard, 50 uh, foot rope. One of them has a silver belt buckle with um with the gem that's going to be worth some uh, some good gold. And then the two extra spears that are laying around. So they can they can take that with them. I'll put that on their party sheet. Um, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. The, the, there were eight silver pieces amongst the pockets, and then uh, some gold pieces in a, in a in a sack on the the table. Sh- should read the room before I start describing it to you guys, huh? Anyway, so they, they do pick up some treasure here. Um, I'm just gonna do a gimme on that instead of going back and rerolling, but I'll we'll remember to do that in the next room. So part of why I'm doing this is to help myself get familiar with these these rules a little better. Um, all right so they're going to leave this room behind there is no uh, the the room has a torch lit but the hallways outside are not lit recall that predrag the uh, the magic user is carrying a lantern um, i do need to add the turn that they spent searching that room to get that treasure though don't i give me a second while i Click the button repeatedly to represent that we've 60 rounds have passed. If I just hand enter it, it doesn't duh, do quite the same. Maybe I should send a message to the programmer, the guy who maintains this rule set in Fantasy Grounds, and say, We need a way to advance the combat tracker by one turn, not just one round. But as I can see, as I've done that, because I have done that, I can see that um, in, in the combat tracker in Fantasy Grounds, Frederick has a this lantern, and it, it's reduced by each click one one round worth of, of the oil in it, so uh, it's, it is keeping track of when that lantern should go out if he doesn't add more oil to it. Okay, so Aguirre is going to the gnome, who's kind of the kind of the party scout. He's going to go ahead and move out into the dungeon and he is going to attempt to do so moving silently. So let's see if it works for him. It does not, although he would be unaware of that. Um, and his movement rate is... 40, which is um, actually 120 feet when uh, you're in out of combat and you're just in adventuring base movement um, ex- yeah movement for, for dungeon adventuring is when exploring unknown areas of the dungeon characters move their base movement rate in feet per turn to account for the fact that they are um, being careful. So keep in mind that we're we're talking about uh, 120 feet over the span of 10 minutes, 12 feet a minute. That that comes down to like, per, for a 10-second round, you're only moving a couple of feet. So that's a very slow, cautious pace. The other thing is that our Greer has InfraVision. That InfraVision does not let you see in the dark. It only lets you see heat patterns in the dark, really. Uh, so, so you just kind of get a, a limited... Um, very limited uh kinda kind of infrared spectrum scan, not a lot of details, so uh being it's not like he can just see in the dark and leave everybody behind and not benefit from the light, so he just crept ahead a few feet out of the range of the, the lantern to um to uh see if there's anything waiting for him in the hallway there um with his vision, and he does not see anything. Within the range of his intervision, so so then the, the rest of the party would sort of catch up to him, including Predrag bringing the light source. So they make it to an intersection about twenty feet up from the uh, from the door. So that's going to take them ten rounds for the whole party to, to to do this kind of movement because of the thing. But they've got They're they're here in an the intersection. They can keep going straight ahead down a long hallway. Uh, to the right there's a doorway that is closed. Uh, and then to the left is another long hallway that just kind of vanishes into the darkness. So we're going to have Agra come up and listen at the door. So that would take you know, another round would pass with him doing that. All well, the party waits to see what happens. And what happens when he listens at the door? Uh, he doesn't know, but he rolled a three, so if there was something in there, um, he would not hear it. But there, there's no sound coming from the door. Um, but the door, is the door locked? We'll see. Uh yes so the door is not locked the door looks very clean and cared for like like there may be has been in use it's not an old you know rotten door from 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 the distant past it's a, it's a looks like like a well maintained room maybe on the other side we'll see what happens uh, Well, our Greer is not going to go first She's so going to step back and he's going to let vanya the paladin go first um so again, we'll say another, another round passes as the party arranges itself. Uh, Vanya opens the door. To a the room itself is not lit, but there's some some you know light shining from the torch, so she can't see the entire room just yet. Uh, so she will march. She will step into the doorway. And think we need to roll for surprise because something's about to happen so on the party rolls a five they are not surprised and the thing that is in the room rolls a six it is also not surprised because presumably it heard the door opening because what's in here is a cobalt so let's, let's get the cobalt ready to go okay so now we roll initiative Cobalt's initiative for this first round is a three, and the party's initiative is a one. So the Cobalt gets to go first. Okay, so the Cobalt jumps out of the shadows. It's got a dagger, He's going to. Uh, going to lash out at Vanya with his dagger. And he does manage to hit her. For two points of damage. So she's uh, she's now lost half her hit points. Uh, okay, so it's now the, the party's turn. Vanya is standing there immediately uh, next to him, but we're, we'll have to go in. Let's see. What's our. Remember, remind us of our combat sequence here uh, morale, movement, missile attacks, spell casting, and melee attacks. Well, this is kind of. No one was prepared to cast a spell. Um, Vanya's sort of standing in the, the doorway there, um, so there's no missile attacks possible. Erlen the cleric. Uh, yeah, she's going to have to, Bonnie's going to have to move to make room for other people before they can do anything. Um, so, what I will have her do since it's her turn is I'm going to have her move slightly to the side of the doorway where she still can see the light coming in from the hallway and see the cobalt. But that way someone else can get in the doorway on the next turn. And then she will make her um, melee attack. with her sword. She misses the kobold. Okay. So we're back to rolling initiative. So another round is passed. The kobold's initiative is a 6. Oh, I guess we should probably have people discla- declare actions, should we not? Vanya will stand and fight. Um, Erlen the cleric will move into the room and try to assist her uh, by also kind of moving in into the side to let uh, looks like Agriar is out here in the hall could probably sh- get a, a, sh- a clear shot in without shooting at anybody so that's going to be their plan. he will he'll, will stay put and use his bow. Um, the other two party members are kind of in the back and can't really do anything at this point. Um, you know the probably Sabina and uh, Frederick will probably just move forward Sabina, so she can get a chance to help when the time's available in Predrig to make sure that more light is being shown into the room. So that's how we'll do this. Okay, so the kobold's initiative was a 6. The party's initiative is also a 6, so they are tied. So uh, everybody will take action, and the results will resolve at the end of the, the round. Okay, so the kobold, let's get him out of the way. Hopefully he doesn't kill Vanya. he misses. I rolled a 14 he misses so hopefully the rest of the party can put him down before anything else happens. So we're going to go to movement. Um, like I said, the, the, the cleric, Erlen the dwarf, is going to move into the room and keep moving enough that there's still a clear line of fire from anybody in the hall that wants to shoot with their bow. Um, Frederick was going to slip up and be able to shine more light in, but he's not standing exactly in the doorway. Then Agriar is going to move into the doorway. Um, missile attack, which would be Agriar. And here's something I, w- I would like to... H- how would most people rule? Because w- what I've got here is, is Agriar standing in the doorway. He's got a bow. But then we've got Sabina, who is a human, standing behind him, also with a short bow. Is a gnome at what point at what point is an ally short enough that you can stand behind them and shoot without them obscuring <laughs> your your shot? And when you're talking about a human, I mean, is a dwarf short enough that you can shoot past him? How about a halfling or a gnome? I'm gonna say she can't shoot past him here, but uh but I would be interested to hear what other people have to think about that particular rule. Anyway, is gonna take his shot with his bow he hits the kobold and he kills a kobold, okay, so uh, that's that, kobold's dead, okay so there we had another round of combat pass um, Everybody's going to move in here and search through this room. Okay. Um, This room is 20 by 20. Um, Again, we'll just just, uh, look at the room description. Uh, Barrels of bad beer, flagons of thick sour mead, sacks of... Poor quality grain, so this is not the harvest bounty. This looks like some older stuff the orcs may have raided. Um, some ropes that the PCs could use, two flasks of oil, and a tinderbox. box. So uh, none of them really need a tinderbox. box. I would say Predrig would probably want those oil flasks, so he's got them handy either to throw, because you know he's only going he's only got one spell. Um, but also to continue to fuel his lantern if it takes time so i'm going to add those to his his um, inventory and a turn will pass while they are searching this room Apologize for that dead air for a second while I was, cl- I was clicking the uh, c- you know, ticking off uh, rounds to uh, uh, to mark the turn had pass while the party had searched the room. And you know that is probably a good rule of thumb if you want to keep the game going and not get get uh, bogged down into. It. Just say you know unless it's an exceptionally large room, rather than going by ten by ten squares, you might just say it takes you guys a turn or a turn to search the room. Everybody. I'll roll a d6 for everybody. Uh, If it's if it's a large room, maybe say two turns. Uh, That's probably and probably every DM should, if you're going to use that kind of concept of using just kind of a generic rule instead of specifically doing that to speed things up, you probably need to discuss it with your players. Um, Anyway, but ten rounds passed, a turn has passed, and what has happened is uh, they are they have made it uh, two turns in the dungeon, and it's time to roll a random encounter. And I roll a three, so no random encounter. Um, you know, when you're doing a dungeon exploration, wandering monsters happen on a one in six every two turns. I would have had to roll a one. There is no wandering monster here, so they can proceed with their their exploration. Um, since they had two long hallways, now that they're looking at the, where they could either, you know, go. With what would have been a left-hand turn and now would be straight ahead, or what would have been gone straight ahead, which is now a right-hand turn. Going they can either go north, oh, which is would, would have been straight ahead had they not entered this room, or they could go west, which would have been the left-hand turn, if you guys are trying to picture this in your head. Anyway, uh, I will just roll randomly for them. I'm going to say odds, they go straight, and evens, they take that right-hand turn. And I'm going to roll a d6, and I roll a 2. So they're going to take this right-hand turn and see what is farther up the hallway here. So again, I'm going to have Agra slowly creep out the room. He has to go about 10 feet. So I'm going to mark the rounds it takes him to, to do that and just glance up the hallway with his infravision. With and again, he sees no... Uh, no sort of uh, indication there's anything up there. Um, so we'll get back in kind of our previous marching order for them to, to go up this hallway again very slowly where we've got kind of Vanya in, in the front because of her armor. Um, they can go two, two by two here, so I'm going to put Erland next to him. We're going to put Predrig in the middle to hold that lantern and then, since Agra is not scouting ahead he and Sabina will bring up the rear. They've got to move 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 feet up here which they will discover as they move forward they're going to find another intersection. But the light lets them see that there's a door straight ahead. So if they, if they, either they need to turn right down, down a hall, around a corner, down a hallway, or straight ahead, they can see that there's a door by the light of this lantern. So again, uh, 20 feet of movement during dungeon exploration. We mark off 10 rounds. There we go. Uh, again, they'll probably have Agrier move very carefully ahead and peer. Actually, Erlen can do this. He's also a dwarf. He's got dark vision. I'm going to have Erlen take this. Just walk just around the corner out of the torchlight, um, even though he's not very quiet about it, and look down the hallway and, and can see no signs of, of anything within the range of his improvision. Uh, so they will turn their attention back to the door. So we'll take him another round to actually get up the door like they would normally want to. And they will have their thief listen to the door once again. And what does he hear? He rolls a four, which means whatever's going on in there, if anything, um, he's not going to hear it at all. Okay, the party doesn't know what's on this other side of the door, but I do. And it's a, a, uh, a large group of orcs, so we may want to stop here instead of getting into a, a, another combat encounter, uh, just, to, again, to keep the, these episodes short. Uh, so we'll stop there, and we will see how they fare against these orcs as they uh, open the door. So I've, I'm, I'm going ahead and re, re, rearranging them on the map and the formation that they would normally use to, to open a door um and see what's inside and I've checked off another round of uh of combat or not another round uh, <laughs> another round in in my combat tracker which if if the fantasy grounds they call it the combat tracker and it's used primarily in combat but it's really a timekeeper uh and you can use it to like I said if you keep them in a marching order uh, regardless of what initial or keep them in a marching order in uh and then have them go through you know what they're doing round around you can continue to keep track of time outside of combat uh as well as in combat so that triggers for wandering monsters torches burning out lanterns running out of oil uh spell effects uh that that have a time on them expiring you you got you can calculate that in segments of here in 10 seconds but if you're doing it in other it it works in you know D&D 5e and Pathfinder and other things that have that you can use in Fantasy Grounds. So anyway, we will stop here, but before we go, let's go ahead and award these guys some experience points for what they've done so far. One other standard feature of Fantasy Grounds that I like is you have a party sheet that tells you who's in the party. It's got an inventory where you can, it's got the party inventory where it tells you everything as a DM that the party possesses and tells you which, who carry, who's carrying it. Um. But it also has a place where you can just drop the parcels of treasure they found and then if you want to you can you can even liquidate it into, into for its gold piece value and it'll do that for you and you can set the percentage at a hundred fifty percent sixty percent wherever you want to do it. Um, so that makes it very easy to keep track of, of treasure. Um, and then they've got a place where you can you can drop where you've built encounters and fantasy grounds into an encounter section, and it will keep track of the XP, and then you can award the XP. Um, you can also, once you've liquidated all the treasure into gold, you can you can just click on a button, and it divides it all up equally among all the party members, like it will with, with the the experience here. The trick in um, for old school essentials is going to be to remember to go back in and also give it an XP award for the treasure once they've. Uh, <laughs> once they once they've cashed that in so um, but let's go ahead and award them the XP for the, the orc guards they fought last time and the cobalt that they fought this time so it's 30 for the orcs five for the uh, for the cobalt so divide that by five there's seven seven experience points each the other thing it does is it, it um, when I click award it puts a little tick box next to the uh, to the line for the encounter so that I know that that experience has already been awarded but it doesn't really erase it so I know what they've encountered if I want to go back and look for it and then of course at the end of the adventure I can clear all this out and reset it um, so if you are a fantasy grounds user I'm using fantasy grounds unity. Um, But uh, I, of course, I've been using Fantasy Grounds for years now. One of the other really cool things about um, Fantasy Grounds Unity, uh, with this this rule set, I'm going to... You know what? Rather than than look it up right here and continue to add moments to the episode, I will just put a link to the YouTube channel of the guy who is developing Old School Essentials rule sets for Fantasy Grounds. Um, The core rule set is free. But that just gives you the mechanics of of how it works. You would have to hand-enter all the monsters and the classes and everything. You can pay to get the the contents of basically uh, all the classes and races and things like that. And that includes Old School Classic and Old School Advance. It doesn't include all the Carcass Crawler stuff, but you can buy the content of Carcass Crawler number one. As, as, as an add-on for, for relatively cheap, particularly compared to what you're paying for Pathfinder or 5e or, or other rule sets. Um, and I think as soon as Carcass Crawler 2 becomes widely available to uh, for purchase through um, Necrotic Gnome, they'll up that in here. He's working hand in hand with um, Gavin Norman and uh, the, the people at Necrotic Gnome to to do this rule set for Fantasy Grounds. Kind of in, in 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 step with them and with their permission and and, and uh, you know sounds to me by his commentary on the things that their friends and colleagues. So anyway, I will put a link on that in the show description for anybody who's interested in looking at the fantasy grounds um, options for this. And again, you know, if if you like BX, even if you want to run a game in BX, uh, just buy this and it has its its. Has all the stuff, and you can you can probably run it out of your old Mulvey and Cook uh, manuals, but you at least have a, a virtual tabletop version that's kind of native built and has all the bells and whistles that comes with Fantasy Grounds. Uh, that is, if you, you you use Fantasy Grounds or in, are interested in using in Fantasy Grounds. I know it's a big upfront investment for some people, but I found it pays for itself if you continue to use it. Uh, not getting paid for Fantasy Grounds, it's just a, a product I like, and I'm happy to to share tips with people uh, for that. Anyway, I've rambled on long enough. I'm going to la- I'm going to wrap up this episode, and uh, thanks for listening. I hope this continues to be uh, useful. I mean, it's useful for me just to get my head around some of these finer points of these rules. That, that uh, Trying to do it at the table the first time you've got to look it up when you've got players waiting on you is a little daunting. So walking through this as a demo for myself as much as anybody else is kind of what I'm doing here. All right, that's it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Arcane Alienist podcast. The music you're hearing is Come and Get It by Scott Holmes Music. The cover art I use for the episodes is by Dave Bone. Be sure and check out his website, ironseer.com, for a lot of other great gaming-related content. You can always leave me a voice message through the Anchor app or at the Anchor website, or you can email me at arcane.alienist at gmail.com. Once again, I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much.